Take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 13. That's our passage today, John chapter 13. The key concept this morning, our humble king is willing to serve. John chapter 13 is where we will center our thoughts this morning. And as you're finding that passage, let me begin with a question. If you knew you had less than 24 hours to live, what would you spend your time doing? If you knew you had less than 24 hours to live, what would you make sure that you say to those people who are closest to you? I ask that because, as I mentioned before, the passage that we're coming to today, in this passage, Jesus has less than 24 hours to live. In fact, for the next eight weeks, we're going to look at this time frame, what happens within this time frame of Jesus having less than 24 hours to live. And given that fact, and that Jesus was aware of that fact, the words that he says and the actions that he takes in this time frame are important for us to study. Time is short. He knows it. So now everything must be of consequence. Only time now for what is crucial. And this morning we'll see that the first crucial thing that Jesus wants to communicate to his closest followers is this. We must live lives of humility. Now, I'd like you for a moment to think of a friend or a family member that you admire, someone who has characteristics, qualities that cause you to think of this person as admirable or worthy. And I'd like you to put that person in your mind, and maybe there's a number of characteristics that will come to your mind, but I want to ask you to pick one, one characteristic about that person that causes you to admire them, okay? Capture that picture in your mind, then call out that this is the audience participation part of our program, so call out those, those qualities. What, what qualities? Strength, patience, gentleness, Generosity? Okay, I didn't get that. Prayer, prayer, faithful, wisdom, dedication. Good. Okay, you get the idea, right? All of the things that you just called out, and probably all of the things that you thought that you didn't call out, of them all, not one of them was outward. They were all inward. I didn't hear anybody say, I admire my friend because they have great hair, or they have great fingernails, or smooth skin, or because he has nice shirts, those kinds of things. None of us, none of us went there. But what are the things that we spend most of our time on as we're getting ready for the day, getting ready to face life? Usually, most of the time is spent on those outside things, the, the externals of life. Now, I'm not against that, all right? It's good to have a little effort in that. I think back to Monday. Monday morning, I was in Walmart, and there was a person checking out full-on pajamas, bathrobe, and fuzzy slippers. <laughs> I'm thinking, take a little more effort, right? I, I, I'm trying to avert my eyes. I shouldn't be looking at this, right? 
I mean, a little effort is good, so, so I'm not against that kind of thing. But shouldn't we also take effort on the things that we know matter most because we admire them most in others? And those are the things of the Spirit, the things of the heart, the internal things. And here in our passage, Jesus re- reminds his disciples and us that one of those important things is humility. So let's go to John chapter 13, verse 1. You follow along as as I read. It says this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. We'll pause our reading there for a moment. Now, as I get into that chapter, I'm struck with how detailed John is as he sets the scene for us. Notice the action of Jesus washing the disciples' feet doesn't start until verse 4, but he takes the first three verses of the passage to enable us to picture the scene, to picture the circumstance. They've gathered in secret. There's a feeling of foreboding that haunts the entire scene. Even though the Sunday passed, Jesus was celebrated as he entered Jerusalem, he's been talking more and more about leaving. He's talking more and referring to his death. And Jesus is fully aware that his crucifixion is near, and John tells us he's fully aware of his divinity. And against all of that background, in that setting, Jesus washes the disciples' feet with the shadow of the cross looming over him. Now, now, we would have understood, we would have thought it to be perfectly okay if Jesus would say to himself, you know, I've got a lot on my mind tonight, so I think we're going to eat this feast with dirty feet. No, ba- no doubt it was an emotional time for him. But there are times and you're called to serve through your tears and through your fears, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. And John says, it was just before the Passover feast when this is taking place. Now, that raises some questions because the other Gospels uh, tend to give us the impression that this was indeed the Passover meal that they were eating. And even though a lot of people question that, I think the solution is very obvious. The solution is very easy. Jesus knew, but by the time the official Passover came around, he was going to be dead. And so this meal is an early Passover, a form of a Passover, celebrated early. The Passover will start at sundown on Friday, but this is the evening meal of Thursday. And it's a private time with his closest followers. And it would be a formalized meal. And in, the, in a formalized setting in this meal, there, there, there would be um, uh, the opportunity to eat together, and Jesus knows that things are going to come to a head. He realizes that soon he will be killed, and he says that in this formalized meal setting, Jesus shows them the full extent of his love. Everything Jesus does this evening and everything he says is motivated by love. 
Now, some of your translations that you're reading say that the evening meal had ended, but it's really better to translate the Greek there like NIV does. The evening meal was getting underway. And so you imagine the, the setting. The disciples in this kind of meal would be reclining, and they would be leaning on one elbow and eating with the free hand on a very low table. They didn't always eat that way, but for formalized meals, that's the way they ate. And then as they were eating, starting the meal, they would have noticed that a menial task had gone undone. The slave's job, the humble job, the job of washing washing the dust off the feet of the dinner guests so that everyone would be refreshed as they're eating the meal. And the reason it has gone undone is because nobody wants to do it, because it's a slave's job. This is Beneath us, you can imagine them thinking. So Jesus gets up and is willing to wash their feet. But as he washes, he also teaches. He washes their feet as an acted-out parable. It's a lesson with no words, you might say. Portrayal, really, of his entire ministry, summed up in humble service. And that's the message. Be willing to be humble. Because if these men, the very core of the plan going forward, if they are going to be able to take their right place in the spreading of the gospel and the initiation of now the church of Jesus Christ growing, they need to get past their squabbling, past their comparing, past their pride, just like the church of Jesus Christ today needs to get past squabbling, past comparing, past pride, and humbly serve. And Jesus knew that. He knew what they were. He knew where they were at their best, and he knew what they were at their worst. He knew that Judas would betray him. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that the rest of them are sparring for the position who would be the greatest. In the Gospel of Luke, we read that they were discussing that and arguing that even in this very setting. He knew all that, and he recognized that all of them will flee and abandon him. But yet... Yet, he loves them, and he doesn't give up on them, and so he serves them. I read a story about uh, a time in the American Revolution when a person, in, a man in civilian clothing was riding uh, down a street with an, on a horse, and he saw some of the revolutionary soldiers repairing a defensive structure. And their leader was sitting on his horse, giving them instructions, but not pitching in. And the man called out to the leaders and said, why aren't, you, why aren't you helping them? And his response was, I, sir, am a corporal. Well, with that, the, the stranger apologized, got off his horse, went over, he helped the exhausted soldiers with their work. And when the work was done, he put, put his coat back on, get back, got back on his horse, and he said this, Corporal, the next time you have a job that needs to be done and not enough men to do it, come to your commander-in-chief and I will help you again. My name is George Washington. Humble service, humble service, that's Jesus' attitude. Let's look at the service again, verse 4. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, on the surface, this was just good manners. This is what you would expect to be provided by the host of a a fancy meal. But the problem was... Jesus wasn't really the host. He was really the guest of honor. 
and a slave would be the one to do it. And I get the idea that Jesus waited a little bit because the food was already being served. Usually this would happen before that. But I I get the sense that Jesus waited a little bit to see if anybody would jump in. And when it was obvious that no one was going to jump in, he got up himself. He did so, John reminds us in verse 3, having a pure sense of his identity and having a sense of security in who he was to his Father God and where he was going. And so he was able, in that sense of identity, to humbly serve. What I want you to see is humility in action demonstrates secure identity, not weakness. All of us need to ask the question, well, where does my sense of identity come from? Where does my sense of security come from as I relate to other people? The saying that I heard uh, some time ago was this, Who I am is not who I think I am. Who I am is not who you think I am. But who I am is who I think you think I am. Why is that true? It's because we're so concerned about the way we're coming off. We're so concerned about the impression that we're making. But when you live that way, that who I am is who I think you think I am, boy, that is a tragic way to live. And when that's the way we gain our sense of self-identity, we are always going to be in pain. But we have a stronger identity, who we are in Christ. I heard a story about a lady who went grocery shopping, and she always tried to look her best even when she went to the grocery store. So she fixed herself up a little bit, put on a dress that she liked, and she went shopping, and all went well. She came home putting the groceries away, and she found that she had left one of the grocery bags on the counter at the store. And so she called the store to see if somebody had found it and identified it. And the clerk said, sure, I remember you, no problem. We'll set it aside and you can come and pick it up. And so as she drove back to the grocery store, she kind of felt good about herself. She had made a positive impression with the clerk. The clerk remembered her, set that groceries aside for her. And and as she got into the store, he motioned her over to where the bag was. And then she saw the note pinned to the bag. It said, save for the lady in the ugly yellow dress. And she went home in a different humor than she came to the store. My point to you is, as long as you go through life gaining your self-esteem in the way that you're complimented by others, or the way you get pats on the back for what you deserve, uh, as long as that's the way we we get our sense of self-esteem, we will always, in the central part of who we are, feel like a fake. And the reason is because we're always performing. Always putting on a little bit of an act. You feel like life is a performance and that's a painful way to live. But there is a true and pure and powerful center of gravity for the children of God. Who you really are. The fact is this, who you really are, you are a person loved by God. And you can't perform it, you can't earn it, he gives it to you freely. That's the self-definition of the child of the king. I am loved by God. And once that self-definition takes root in your life, the need for pretense and pretending slides away and you're able to serve with godly humility. Those of us who've been touched by Christ's forgiveness and faith can claim for sure God takes delight in me. He loves me. And when you fully get that, you don't have to perform anymore. You have nothing to prove. And nothing to prove is very liberating, not towards superiority and snobbishness. It's liberating towards service and humility. 
I have nothing to prove. What strikes me here in this, in this passage, Jesus has nothing to prove. He knows he comes from the Father. He knows he's going back to the Father. And so he can serve. And he shows that, that humility is ready to meet needs, no matter what they are. As far as we know, Jesus has never washed feet before, or at least it's not recorded for us that he ever has. As far as we know, this is different. This is a departure. But because he had that strong inner relationship with his father, he is able to do things that others dare not try. He could dare to be humble and to reach out, dare to do the things that weren't the glamorous things, not in the limelight, because he knows he's not going to lose the love of his father. He's got nothing to prove, and he's got nothing to lose. And you have nothing to lose as you're living for the Lord and depending on Him. Why? Because He will never let you go. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, He says. But not believing that, truly, what happens is we shrink back into the area of life where we feel we're safe, never taking a risk, never trying something new, never daring in any way. It's kind of like a child who... At the dinner table, uh, at dinner time, you put something new in front of the child. The child looks at it and says, I don't like that. How do you know? You haven't even tried it. Why not? I don't like it. And the whole fact that they've never tried it is a reason to not like it. And some people carry that immaturity with them throughout all of life, not necessarily with food, but other things, new challenges, new opportunities. But Jesus didn't live like that. He looked around and he saw a need going unmet, and he understood why that need was going unmet, because of pride that was taking root in the heart of the disciples. And while others are playing head games, he says, I have nothing to lose, so I'm going to try, and I'm going to serve. And Peter sees what's happening. Now, let's notice his reaction, starting in verse 8. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon replied, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Now, you have to give Peter credit, give him credit for his high regard for Jesus, give him credit for his cultural understanding that what's happening here is not normal, not right, not usual. Peter is embarrassed by this upside-down kind of behavior that Jesus is willing to engage in. He feels undeserving. He feels uncomfortable that Jesus would be doing this. So he says, no, no, Jesus, don't, don't, don't do that. But Jesus presses the point, you know what, Peter, you have to be willing to do things my way and to have me do things my way. You have to be willing to say yes to my will, to do things the way I wish it to happen. Because this washing is not just about feet and being ready for a feast. This is washing is about the spirit and being ready for a kingdom. And Peter misses the subtlety but shows his usual enthusiasm. Well, in that case, wash all of me. But Jesus makes the point, this is what we're doing right now. And in so doing, we see that Jesus understood what was going on in the heart of Judas, who he will get to down the line. Jesus washed Judas's feet this night. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about Judas. But his feet were washed along with all of the others. And I wonder what happened 
when their eyes met when Jesus got up from that task? Well, Jesus finally wraps it all up with some teaching. In verse 13, follow along, it says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In verse 16, Jesus is establishing what is really going on here. He wants them to recognize, just because I wash the feet doesn't mean I'm still not master in this situation. I washed your feet, and soon he knows they will be sent from him. And even as the master does the humble task of a servant, the message that he's communicating to them is, do not think that you can serve God instead of serving others. Do not think that you serve God instead of serving others, because as sent ones, sent to serve the one true God, you serve him as you serve others. Blessed are you if you do this. And secondly, he's teaching, and do not think that you will ever be exalted beyond the humble duty that is right before you. That's the summary of Jesus' command to them. Do what I have done. You're never going to be above it. You're never going to be beyond it. You don't grow out of it. Do the humble thing that is right before you. Wouldn't it be great if we could say to our children and our grandchildren as a summary of our lessons to them, I have set you an example. Do what I have done. To our friends and to our co-workers, I have set you an example. Do what I have done. Jesus shows us that kingdom living is a paradox. Over and over, he shows us by his actions kind of this upside-down living. In fact, it was something we noticed a few weeks ago, and that is that the way up is down first. The way to true life is to die to self. The way to gain is to give. The way to greatness is humility. In God's eyes, that's what makes you great. So what does Jesus want from us? First of all, he wants us all to be cleansed, not from dirty feet necessarily, but from a dirty soul. He wants us to be cleansed from a dirty conscience and the shame that we carry as we fall prey to sin. And only He can provide that cleansing. And He, by grace, will cleanse us from within as we turn to Him in repentance and ask for the work that He did on the cross to be applied to our heart. He wants us to be cleansed in that way. And if you haven't ever said yes to the love of Jesus and moved from death to life in a moment of forgiveness that Jesus called being born again. If you haven't ever done that, that's what he wants from you. He wants you to be cleansed. But then he wants cleansed people to work to cleanse others. Verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Blessing will come, but it comes in the humble things. The humble tasks that are right before us, the things that others might be tempted to leave undone, blessing comes when we say yes to that. Because when we say yes, we are like our humble king. And that's the Christian journey towards Christ-likeness. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be more like you. We pray that we would recognize that opportunities like this come maybe every day. 
But we walk past them because we have trained ourselves not to see them, thinking that we don't need to get involved or we have come to a place in life where somebody else will do it. Lord, thank you that you love enough to serve. And help us to learn the lesson that you were teaching the disciples this evening, the lesson of humility. We want to follow in your way. Help us do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.